and he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, a podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. We are super excited to get started on season two. Yeah. So before we do, how was your summer? It was great. Uh, took a couple vacation. well, I took one long vacation, two Like weeks. four weeks or something. <laughs> Not quite. It felt like that. <laughs> Uh, two weeks. First week, Kansas City to see my family. Second week, I took uh, we took our daughter on a mystery tip trip. Left my son at home, hmm. and you was, put money in the therapy jar for that. For yeah, I did. Okay. I definitely did. <laughs> when he sees the pictures, uh-huh, and he's like, "Wait a second, wait, um, Andy went to the beach." Yeah, I'm like, "Well, if you didn't eat sand, I would take you, but all you do is eat sand." So, um, but it's great. We went down to Port Arantes to the to the beach. Started low with the you know the beach. We're like, we'll take her to a really nice beach when she's older, when she can appreciate it. Hey, wait, is that a is that a shot at Texas beaches? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, specifically Port A. I yeah. thought is that is it better than Galveston though? Basically the same. Mm, yeah, both aren't huh. great. All yeah, right. but it was great. She loved it. We met some friends there, so it was good. And then trying to think, you know, just swimming in the pool and hanging out. So it was a good mm. summer. You, awesome. you did a lot of things too. Yeah, we did quite a bit. We, uh, I guess, kind of caught up on some travel from last summer. So we went to southern Utah with the kids as soon as they got out of school and did the five national parks in southern Utah, which I highly recommend. <clears throat> and then the kids were in camps all, all summer long. So uh, we actually went to Galveston for a week because Sam was in Aggie Sea Camp, which is fun. highly recommend that. Uh, and then we did the big family trip with Whitney's family, and we went to Puerto Vallarta which I had never been to that part of Mexico. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your beach pictures looked a little bit better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it's, yeah. Poor, uh, PV is uh, Pacific, and the, so the sunsets are phenomenal, mm-hmm. and the people are wonderful. So it was great. Didn't your son take that really good picture that we put on Facebook? Yeah. It's yes. really good. Yeah, and I did a, one of the columns was about, travel mm-hmm. and he, he's got a great eye so he mm-hmm. he uh, won a photography concept contest last year like a statewide photography contest I, I guess he got that. second statewide um, it, with Van Deventer's middle school and uh, he's just you know That's some awesome. people have that eye and yeah. some people, I do not have that eye so well good for him yeah awesome so how are you feeling uh, school starts this week wait does school start for you right this week yeah yeah your kids yeah so we're both going to be mopey around the office. Yeah, I'm off. Well, I'm taking that day off. <laughs> I'm switching my days off this week to okay. not be in the office on the first day of school. I'm useless that day anyway. Mm-hmm. Always. It's like a it's like a annual reminder of the passage of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and but you got a big one this year. I got a big one starting kindergarten, so I'm basically taking the day off too. So I'll come in later, <laughs> or maybe I don't know. We'll see. It's rough, and my husband's out of town, so. Yeah. I'm having to handle all of it by myself. Yeah, I, I distinctly remember when our oldest went to kindergarten. And it was, I mean, it's great. Every every year is great. I, when I was a youth minister, I had a, a youth parent uh, tell me that every season, is, every season of your kid's life is awesome. It's just awesome in a different way and for different reasons. Yeah. This was a, this was a father of an only child 
And uh, that's been my experience. So, yeah, yeah, life's good. Okay. So we're starting uh, the season two of this podcast. And so now it means I have to pay attention to your sermons on Sunday, like all summer. <laughs> I was like, I don't need to listen to this. Easy. I, I don't have to do a podcast. <laughs> so I didn't listen to a word you said this summer. But we have the quizzes in senior staff. <laughs> right. <laughs> You never do very well on those. I don't. <laughs> I don't. So, but no, it was good. It was a good um, kicking off a new s- sermon series. It's complicated, which I'm very excited about. We're talking about Abraham and Sarah, and it's part of your big project, a 20 year project, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm so you're referencing there. I mentioned it in the sermon. <clears throat> the idea is every year for back to school, we'll take a, a couple of characters from the Bible, and we'll kind of do an overview of the, I said in the sermon, major players in Scripture over the course of that 20-year project, but um, maybe some obscure ones will work their way in there too, but early on, you've got to do, yeah. obviously, Adam and Eve, obviously, Abraham Abraham and Sarah, which gets weird because at this stage of the game, they're Abram and Sarai, yeah. <clears throat> and so keeping those names straight it's uh, real tricky. It's a little bit tricky because everyone knows them as Abraham and Sarah, that's what the sermon, side, sermon uh, series is titled, but... At this stage for chapter 15, which was our subject for yesterday, uh, they're Abram and Sarai. Yeah. Not really all that different, not really, but anyway, different enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm trying to think where we want to want to start this morning. So because you focus a lot on Abraham and how he's like, you know, the top three religions, but maybe a lot of people don't know that. So could you talk about that briefly? Our Buddhist friends would take umbrage at that top yeah. three, right? I know. Sorry. <laughs> silver, so, you know, gold, silver, bronze. Sorry you didn't make a medal. <laughs> no? That's, Sorry. That's, Olympics can, are on my mind. Yeah. Okay. All right. We can talk about the Olympics. I mean, I guess we are going to talk about the Olympics some later. So the way I phrased it was not the top three religions in the world, <laughs> although I'm biased, right? I mean, clearly I... The best religion, of course. I mean, the, the truest <laughs> religion. Like, I'm a company yeah. man on the Christianity thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I phrased it and the way it's normally phrased is that Abraham is the, the patriarch of the world's three monotheistic religions. Yeah. Starting, of course, with Judaism, and then Christianity, and then Islam, like chronologically. And so all three of those religions trace their lineage to, to Abraham and, of course, uh, well... Christianity and mm-hmm. Judaism to Sarah, so um, it's interesting. His role in the in the kind of pantheon of world religions is is I'm going to say exalted. I think that's probably the right way to phrase yeah. it. I mean, um, so when you National Geographic does their periodic, you know, walking in Abraham steps, they always mention the fact that he's the patriarch of the three great religions. And we we do want to work in like mention Sarah as often as possible because she's yeah. often muted in the story. Um, and I tried to mention her a little bit yesterday, even though she does not show up in chapter 15. Yeah. Well, I did appreciate how you said how Sarah is often overlooked as a lot of women in the Bible. So I appreciated that. Yeah. (laughs) It's all too often the case. Yeah. I mean, that women are even unnamed, like they're only, right? So, and sometimes they're only described in relation to the the male figure in their life, right? But, you know, Sarah's got a, a very important role in the story that we'll get to a little bit later in the series. Also a complicated role in the story. Yes. And uh, to really... <laughs> so Abraham, or again, Abram from chapter 15, because he's not renamed at this point. Uh, but he's often lifted up as this as this paragon of faith, this um, 
I, mean, I guess that's the right word, the, the ultimate example of faith. But at every step of the way, I mean, there is some negotiation, and uh, it is more complicated than people often remember <laughs> based yeah. on his reputation. Yeah, for sure. He's a terrific character. Yes, and complicated. And he, Yeah, <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. Right? I mean, and we're going to, at the fourth sermon in this series is my least favorite text in the entire canon, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the sacrifice of uh, Isaac. Yeah. But even that story is way more nuanced, I think, than we than we often uh, recall it or often give it credit for being. Yeah. So in this case, in chapter 15, we always think God tells Abram, calls Abram, Abram goes. It's true, but then there's this anxiety that Abram feels about not, like the thing that he wants the most is an heir. Mm-hmm. The thing that he needed the least that God offered was land. Like he was, he was prosperous. He was wealthy. He was, he was prestigious. And uh, he was at a, a ripe old age, even when he got called out of his homeland to go to the promised land. And, and he um, kind of bets it all on this promise of a son. And when that son doesn't show up, he gets antsy mm-hmm. and he starts negotiating. Uh, negotiating may be a little <laughs> bit strong of a word, but I mean, honestly, it is this kind of give and take between yeah. Ab- Abram and God. And uh, I, I love the relationship that scripture depicts between the two of them. And this happens really at every step of the way. Um, probably the most famous one is uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Ab- Abraham's like, Are you really going to kill all these people? Because you can't, like, what if there were a hundred righteous people? Would you say, you know, there's that negotiation? Yeah. We're not telling that story. But that relationship that they have, uh, where God has, you know, like God states God's case, and then Abraham says, Well, what about? begins earlier than that story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And it shows up pretty prominently here. And in, in scripture, and you know, this is a subtlety that's often lost, a double protest is not a minor thing. <laughs> like he doesn't just ask an offhand question. He says, he's making a point to God two times in a row without letting God answer. And it's clear that he's, uh, I mean, you can read between the lines and say he's disgruntled. Mm-hmm. Like what, what gives? You know, I... I and now I've just got all my stuff in a new place, but I still don't have the thing I want more than anything else. Yeah. And I love the fact that God says, okay, fine, go get some animals and we'll, we'll, for, we'll formalize this thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So let's do talk about, and an error was so, so important this time, but why? You kind of touched on it, but I don't know if we can explain it better. Well, there, yeah, that's, there's a lot to that question. So, you know, Abraham didn't believe in heaven like we believe in heaven. <laughs> and so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot that's wrapped up in the notion of, of having an heir to carry on your family line. I mean, obviously to inherit your stuff, but that's less of a deal for you. Yeah. But this, this notion of um, your memory living on and, and your, uh, your family line living on for a culture and a religious outlook that didn't really have eternity in its calculus, right? I mean, yeah. everything that we think of in our faith journey has at least the context of what comes after this life. And that wasn't the case for Abraham. So, uh, I mean, we ultimately get there mm-hmm. in, in Judaism and Christianity and Islam, but that's not the, that's not the context that Abraham, or Abram at this case, in this point, uh, is, is dealing with. And so having children, having your own children specifically... <laughs> You know, I, I say this kind of grudgingly, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was the it was a male heir that was the the biggest yeah. deal. Was seen as a uh, a blessing from God, and if you didn't have a male heir, then you were seen to be not blessed 
by God. Because so much of your, like, your legacy was contingent upon that male heir. And so when God shows up with, uh, with Abraham and cha- Abram, <laughs> it's really tricky to keep it doing that, uh, in chapter 12, and says, you're going to be blessed forever. Uh, and you'll be blessed to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. There's no way that that blessing can happen in Abram's mind without a male heir. Yeah. Almost by definition, if there's no male heir, then I'm not blessed. And so um, this exchange in 15 is where Abram's like, look, what gives? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you made me a promise. You made The offer is what we call the, this particular stop in the sermon series, the beginning of the sermon series. You made me this offer, and you've only delivered on half of it, and I don't even have, you haven't even delivered on the half that I really am interested in. Yeah. So if they had a girl first, then, like, not sp- specifically them, but, like, just at that time, if you had a girl first, they would not get anything? The the boy would? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay, no. I'm just clarifying for sure. people, like, no, women, cool times. <laughs> <laughs> right. A very, a very patriarchal society. Yeah. Which is why, by the way, throughout Scripture, when when women play a prominent role, it's even more, it's countercultural, it's revolutionary, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's God making a pretty big statement. <laughs> yeah. So it's good to lift up those, those times. But in this case, if they had had a, a baby girl, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been, I mean, it would have been fine, whatever, baby girl, whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, whatever. But it's not the thing it's not that the they thing. need. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of, whew, that's a lot of layers to that. Like in your household, it'd be all about Jude. It's not though. I know. But if you but if you were living, you know, three thousand years ago, yeah, Andy would just be kind of an afterthought, which is crazy. Okay, so you, I wanted to talk about this point in your sermon. So you paraphrase it, but you say, um, you know, when Abram and God are kind of going back and forth, and Abram, you say, "Look, God, I did what you asked me to do." So it's basically like, "Why aren't you going to do that?" <laughs> Um, can you talk about theologically how sometimes people live and that's their belief? Like, well, if I did this and God's going to give me this and bless us and why that's <laughs> not a good yeah. <laughs> mindset. So that's a multi-layered question. Yeah. So first, in the context of the relationship between Abram and God, it's legit because mm-hmm. they're making a covenant. Sure. You're asking a theological question about kind of us and God. Yeah. And um, it's a really important question. And that's kind of the point that I was trying to make in the mm-hmm. sermon, that that sometimes, uh, well, maybe not even sometimes, oftentimes things don't go exactly the way we think they should. And we'll get into that deeper <laughs> a little bit later. But there's this strain of theology that runs throughout Scripture where if you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. Mm-hmm. That's the Deuteronomist. Uh, the book of Job, the whole point of Job is to turn that on its head. Mm-hmm. It's a separate conversation. But it's... It gets to this underlying theology. If I do what God has called me to do, then I should be blessed. Ask anyone and, and on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. I think we all kind of feel that way. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I get everything I want right now. Yeah. But we've kind of. Um, I had a, a long, many, many years ago. I had a very, very bright youth in my group, a preacher's kid, not my own, who said, "Well, we still do that. <laughs> we just believe that it's going to heaven." I'm like, well. Fair. <laughs> Fair. But the question is, what about in this life? So if we, if we follow the commandments, if we follow Jesus' teaching, if we are the best disciples we can be, shouldn't we then be blessed in this life? Like mm-hmm. in, Intellectually, we know that's not true. I think emotionally, we want that to be true. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that's why, that's why so often when tragedies happen, it's a crisis of faith. Like, how, God, how could you? Mm-hmm. How could this happen? What, even if you don't believe that God did it. 
Yeah. How could how could this bad thing happen? I mean, there's I mean, this this is just kind of the this is this is the eternal question. Right. How how why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel a little bit differently in the context of the story of Abram and, and God because they are very early on in their relationship, and God has clearly made a promise that God's not yet delivered on. Right. So I think Abram can be excused for going down this path with God. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that he does actually makes the point that we all need to hear, which is that that faith, and this is the point that I made in the sermon, it's about trust. Mm -hmm. Like, do we believe that God is trustworthy? And if so, then what action are we called to based on that, based on our trust in God? And then do we have the patience to let life unfold the way life's going to unfold? It's all three. And it was all three for Abram. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The whole Abraham cycle is a story in, uh, of patience, really. Patience when he's um, first called out of from Ur of the Chaldeans, is the way the mm-hmm. um, text that we read yesterday says it, even though he was living in Haran at the time. I'll show you when you get there <laughs> what's going to be yours. And then there's more waiting when there's the famine in the Promised Land, and they go down to Egypt. And then when they come back eventually and they separate, he, Abraham and Lot separate, Abram and Lot separate. <laughs> um, God does this thing where this is going to be yours. It's always a kind of future casting. Yeah. Then Abram's like, okay, well, what about my heir? <laughs> and then there's the delay. And then we're going to read about how Sarah gets antsy with this whole thing and is clearly a strong woman mm-hmm. who convinces her husband to do something that God did not have in mind, right. <laughs> which leads to one of those three great monotheistic religions. That's a story for later. <laughs> um, and then there's a further delay between the birth of Ishmael and the birth of Isaac. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, and then <laughs> when we get to the story of the sacrifice of Isaac, like surely the whole way he's walking up the mountain, the whole time he's got to be thinking that, that God's got to bail me out of this. Like there's, mm-hmm. I can't do this, right? So yeah. the whole story is so much um, a, what's the word I want to use? Well, I, I'll just use the word story. It's so much a story about how things don't happen on our time necessarily, that we really just have to trust that God is, or we have to believe that God is trustworthy, we have to put our trust that God is not leading us astray. Mm-hmm. And then if things don't work out in our time, we got to accept that and put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. So it's about, is it like um, 30 years or so from like the first call until Isaac's born? Mm-hmm. Isn't it about 30 something years? So I mean, it's a long time. I mean, I can't imagine waiting... 30 years or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. The dating's a little tricky. And so at the beginning of 15, I said some indeterminate amount of time yeah. has passed. But um, you know, there's a decade between Ishmael and Isaac even. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're, we're measuring this in that on that scale of time. Right. <laughs> we're not talking about a few months passes. Correct. Right. And they're not 20 or 30 when right. this is happening. I mean, they're old. They're right. looking thinking, hey, <laughs> we're going to run out of time because I'm going to die. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's, Yeah. Okay. Well, and imagine Sarah's trust. Right. Like, I'm going to have a baby now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I want to air, but now? How's that going to work now? out? Yeah. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I do love how you point out, I mean, the big point of your sermon was just how we trust God. And so I've been thinking about how sometimes the church, not necessarily Christ United, but the church and then Christians in general make it very hard for people to trust God um, with just trusting God because we have said things like, well, everything's going to work out. Or if you do good, you will get 
And so I think that's why people have a hard time. I mean, do you have any thoughts on how maybe we've made it hard for people to trust in God by the way that the church or Christians have acted or portrayed God, I guess? Well, which Christians <laughs> and which churches? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think healthy theology doesn't try to make promises on God's behalf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond the the kind of general teachings of Christ, which mm-hmm. is that, like, I used two phrases yesterday in the sermon, kind of in the pivot to Christian discipleship. There's a long way to go from Abraham <laughs> to Jesus, right? Yeah. But um, life eternal and then life abundant, both those are from the Gospel of John, not surprisingly. <laughs> but there's no specific details in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, he's not saying if you follow the commandments, you get Alexis. Yeah, your bank account will be overflowing or, you know, name, pick whatever you want. Prosperity gospel mm-hmm. is... Trash. Yeah, because that's not... Nowhere is it is that... Like, you can take a couple of verses out of context and get this kind of belief that if you do what God wants you to do, mm-hmm. then you'll be materially blessed. But anybody who's lived any amount of time trying to live faithfully any amount of time knows that that's just not the way life is. Mm-hmm. So I think healthy theology contextualizes that, you know, the blessings of a, of a life in a relationship with, with Christ are those, those are spiritual blessings. And they may or may not translate to material blessings. Um, but to try to overpromise <laughs> on any of that is very dangerous territory because when it doesn't happen, mm-hmm. then that can shake people's faith. So um, next week in week two, we're, gonna, we're telling the story of the promise of Isaac which is a, just an awesome, awesome story. And um, I'm going to draw a comparison between outrageous promises. Like, not very many. I don't know how many of our 90-year-olds are hoping for a child. <laughs> I'm guessing very few. Um, grandchild, great-grandchild. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, we still do make some outrageous promises based on the spiritual benefits of being in a relationship with God, specifically through Christ. And so we'll unpack that a little bit next week. You know, I think... Uh, if you read any of these stories that we're reading, have a lot to teach us about um, humility mm-hmm. <laughs> and about uh, not expecting, I don't know what's the word, I'm, it's like get, having our expectations properly set. Yeah, bargaining with God or doing things that are like, yeah. Now, relationships with God, like, I, you know, arguing, being angry in the presence of God and asking God tough questions, like going through tough times and asking God tough questions questions. God can handle all that. And all through the Bible, we see that God's fine with that. He, like, he doesn't, he doesn't call off the deal with Abraham, Mm -hmm. with Abram, dang it, because Abram makes this double protest to begin the text. He's, I mean, he meets him where he is. It's, it's it's so beautiful, but then there's still the delay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? It's not like, uh, they have this, like, it's not as though Abram makes the sacrifice and God's like, fine, you and Sarah get pregnant tonight. That's not, (laughs) that's not the way it turns out. Yeah. I think it's really important, especially in times of um, suffering, to be really careful how we (laughs) say, well, God's going to show up. Things are going to be okay. God does show up. But God does show up. But we got to nuance that. (laughs) Yes. Right? It's really picking your words. (laughs) It's really important. And in reminding them that, you know, particularly in times of suffering, like God's going to show up and God's going to show up as we take care of you no matter what happens. You know, I think we get again, fixated on, it's going to have to be this way. I'm going to make a list. It has to be in this nice, pretty box. Anything else, well, then I'm done. Mm-hmm. Well, 
what a horrible way to live. You know, I just think like, well, that just puts way too much pressure on that relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, um, you know, I, an expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. Yes. And, yes. Say um, that again. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and that works in relationships, that oh, works yeah. in marriages, that works with our kids, and that absolutely works with God as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, just to get real, real for a minute, a loved one gets sick with a with what is probably going to be a, term, a terminal illness. The faithful prayers are prayers for healing and prayers mm-hmm. for comfort and prayers for peace, for sure, mm-hmm. um, where we set ourselves up for danger is kind of expecting that our prayers are going to result in a miraculous cure for a terminal disease. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then when, uh, if, if that, if that miracle doesn't happen, then, um, the resulting cutoff in our relationship with God ultimately damages us mm-hmm. and our own, the rest of our lives. <clears throat> and as a pa- I'm sure you've seen it too. As a pastor, you see it a lot where mm-hmm. anger over a tragic outcome um, you know, when, when we displace that anger as though God made it happen yeah. because God didn't do what we wanted God to do on our timeline. I mean, I certainly understand why we want that to happen, but when it doesn't, <laughs> you know, our relationship with God can either be a source of comfort in the moment or we can turn our backs and ultimately that impoverishes, impoverishes us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God weeps for that too. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll switch gears a little bit. You talk about Sydney, is it McLaughlin? McLaughlin. Okay. Uh, Before I get talk about this Olympian, I do have to know what's your favorite event because you love, (laughs) and then if you were to compete, which event would you enter? Uh, I was a track and field athlete in high school. Okay. State champions in the four by 800 relay. Okay. By the way, Maryland, small school, but still, I'll take it. (laughs) Uh, So definitely the middle distance events would be my event. I love the I love the track and field event, field events. Uh, the favorite one for me to watch. It's a really good question. Probably my like uh, I was talking to Sam, our youngest, about this, and he loves the diving. Yeah. And, and the diving stuff is really impressive, but I have no idea how they score it. <laughs> so, I know. I don't. Yeah. Like he got a he got a one eighty. Uh, that's one hundred eighty points. That's anyway. So uh, my favorite ones to watch are the ones that are just about raw athletic. Like you are the fastest thing yeah. person on the in the pool or uh, on the track for this particular thing yeah yeah okay. how about you gosh i love them okay so my favorite one to watch i don't know i just really love the olympics a lot i mean i do love swimming that's because i'm a i can't swim without plugging my nose and so like <laughs> which you've seen that tweet like they want a normal person yeah, yeah, to yeah. compete yes. just to see like yeah but i'm like they need to put me on the swimming because i'd be like on the block <laughs> plugging my nose Jumping in, I don't know how to swim like any of those strokes. They need to put a random dad up there on that diving yes. platform yeah. in a speedo like that, uh-huh. like, just for comparison purposes. Like yeah. this is where a normal human looks like trying yeah. to do that dive. And the dive, right. I will say, the divers are so in shape. Which it's I'm like, ridiculous. all you do is jump off. Yes. I'm like, like you guys can go have a burger now. Now that right. you're done competing, <laughs> Jeez. Um, and then, but I mean, I'm a girl, and I don't. I feel like all girls really love the gymnastics. And so then I would enter the, like the rhythm, like the, with the ribbons and the, ah. you know, the really, cause I would do it to like a 1990s early worship song. Barbie girl. No, not Barbie girl, <laughs> but maybe. That's, but, a re- that's a reference to her sermon. Yeah, one of my sermons. Um, but to like friends are friends forever. Michael W. Smith, just like with my heart out, just <laughs> crying. Wait, just, now you're talking about the thing with the, the banner or whatever, like the flag? Yeah, the rhythm, ribbon dancing. I'm out on that. I'm also out on skateboarding. 
I'm Ooh. also out on apparently breakdancing is going to be a thing. Yeah. And team handball. Like there's some random events. Yeah. Well, there was. I was watching. Well, let's go back to the Greeks. I'm a purist. I'm a traditionalist <laughs> on this. Well, there was one. Well, then they should all be nude too. Yeah, they should all be nude. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I'm not. Well, that, I'm I don't not know. That <laughs> I mean, some of them. I don't. Anyway. Um, some of them practically are. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> I was Except watching for those Germans. Those are some good leotards. They yeah, they have. are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was one event that was, I think it was taekwondo. It was some fighting, which again I also don't know how they score because I'm like, what it, what counts as a hit or whatever. Yeah. But yes. there were these two girls that were or women. What sorry, um, were fighting, and I'm like, they look like middle school girls that don't actually know how to fight. <laughs> like they don't actually want to like get physical. It was so bad to watch, and I was like, did they train for this? Like I don't feel like they have to train for this. Anyway, I haven't. You know, like I, and the human interest stories are just awesome. Like mm-hmm. I, I love the when the small countries get a random. Medal. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, I, like I, I didn't like that the families couldn't be in the stadium, but the benefit of that was that we got to see the family's reaction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can't always see like here are all the people who love you, like because yeah. they're you know they're spread out throughout the stands or whatever. So seeing the the reactions of the of the people back home. Uh, when the kids won, it was just it's just great, and most of them are, are kids, of course. Yeah, except one time, I think it was was it Jade, one of the gymnasts, like she messed up, and so it cut to her family, and they're like, "Oh," and I was like, "Cool, that'll be fun for her to rewatch sometime when she messed up." Some of those they were great, but uh, sometimes I was like, "Just let them have their moment," you know, when they're like, "All right, talk to your family," and like they're crying, like it was, but it was good. I loved that they tried to have their family support so they could see it, but it was. Yeah, we know how uh, from pandemic how hard it is to do hybrid like oh that. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. when it wouldn't work right. and like <laughs> the technical the technical <laughs> things that would have had to happen to do that. Right. I'm already impressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, did, I feel like NBC did a, a pretty all in all a very nice job in coverage. They play too much beach volleyball. Someone to say <laughs> every time I turn on, I'm like, do they think America loves beach volleyball? We don't. Anyway, okay. So the Olympian, yeah, Sydney. You talked, yeah. You kind of compared her to Abraham. So t- for those that haven't, <laughs> I don't. Well, no, that I compared her to well, Abraham. Her, will you explain it? Okay, so um, <laughs> I'm good with words, so <laughs> it's fine. Well, the question on my sheet says, <laughs> "How did Sydney McLaughlin remind you of Abraham?" Yeah. The short answer is in no way. In no way. <laughs> we don't know what he looked like, so. <laughs> You don't know. <laughs> Maybe he had great cheekbones. You don't know. It's funny. So the the comparison that I drew drew there, like the, the reason that she came, that um, I felt like that was a a, a pertinent um, uh, illustration, kind of, a, of of trusting in God, is because um, like I was just really touched watching this race. The track again, track and field. I, I love those track and field events, and um, I can never can't pronounce this the silver medalist's first name. Her last name's Muhammad. It looks like Delilah, but it's like Dalala or something like that. Okay. Uh, so I didn't want to mispronounce it in the sermon. But these two have been like 1 and 1A on the track for a couple of years. And in um, the last Summer Olympics in 16, I can't remember where that was. Where were the Beijing, 16? right? Was it in Beijing? Yeah. Okay. Um, Sydney uh, McLaughlin participated as like a 17-year-old. And she didn't. I don't think she meddled, but she, it was clear she was going to be the next, the next thing. And she is, uh, she went to a Catholic high school. I'm not sure what her like denominational affiliation <laughs> is at this point in her life, but she's very open about her faith and, um, on social media, she's very open about it. And, um, 
she and Muhammad, Miss Muhammad, Mrs. Muhammad, mm. um, both actually gave glory to God in that interview, mm. that post-race interview. Um, but for space time, you know, for, yeah. I didn't want to try to explain the relationship between the two of them and all that. But I was just really touched that in this this moment, like they push each other and they've traded the world record uh, on and off over the past couple of years um, at the Olympic trials uh, in June in Oregon. Uh, McLaughlin won and set the world record. But it was clear that, I mean, they were far and away the two best runners in the field. But the like for these athletes, this is their entire life. And in the case of McLaughlin, she's only 22. So she doesn't have any kind of perspective on the rest of life, right? She right. you know, doesn't have a family. She's in college still. Um, competition has been her thing. Mm -hmm. And I just remember last year during the, during the pandemic, I mean, there's a very short window when athletes are that elite. Mm -hmm. And so um, to have missed that window last year had to have been devastating for some number of those athletes. Oh, yeah. McLaughlin was young enough that she was, she's going to be dominant for a long time. Um, but the kind of the, the trust that she was going to get her shot again the continued work that is required to main, to stay at that elite level. And in her case, I didn't get into this yesterday, but this is track nerd stuff. Mm -hmm. Like when you, most hurdlers, when they run, they always clear the hurdle with the same leg. And if they approach, if their steps are a little bit off, and they count the number of steps in between yeah. hurdles. And if they're off a little bit, they have to like short step to get back on to the proper leg. Well, in the past year, since, since the, Olymp the Olympics were last when they were canceled, mm -hmm. McLaughlin changed coaches and broke down her stride so that now she can jump the hurdles with either leg. Jeez. And when you watch, if you go back and rewatch that race, several of them she hit with her left leg, which is not her dominant leg. Mm -hmm. That is unbelievably yeah, difficult. That's, yeah, I mean, that's to like, retrain your, yeah. That's like, that's like Simone Biles level dominance in that particular sport. Yeah. But, there's a lot of trust that has to happen if you're going to – like if you are already elite, if you're already mm -hmm. like world record level and you want to get just a little bit better and you're willing to totally deconstruct Yeah, switch your, coaches. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it's really – it's just a remarkable story. <clears throat> and at every step of the way, if you read her story, she's, she's just constantly giving thanks to God mm -hmm. for like the gifts that God – I mean clearly she is just – she, it, it's a thing of beauty watching her run. Like if you're if you're a hurdleist or a track person, like her, the head, like her, the height of her head never changes. It's, it's, it's like she's it's it's remarkable. <laughs> she never has to like short step when she's getting up to the hurdles. So my point is, my point was that uh, the amount of trust, the amount of action, the amount of patience that it took mm -hmm. for her getting ready for these Olympics was Abrahamic. I guess you could say it that yeah. way. Um, and the fact that in her greatest moment, like she, the first thing she thought about was thanking God. Mm -hmm. And again, and the point I made in the sermon was not God has a plan. God wants me to win. I hate that kind of theology because I, I just think that's very <laughs> disrespectful to God's relationship with every other athlete on the field. Right. It wasn't like that. It was, it, it was like, she just, she was so, she was coming from a place of gratitude. So that, that's why I made the comparison. It, it, it was very striking. I was, Whitney and I were watching it with the boys on Tuesday night, um, that like we talked about it a fair amount mm -hmm. afterwards like that's really really that's really cool like that's a good way to live yeah i will say i feel like there's a few olympians that there was one gymnast i know that she had been an alternate before and then she was going like this was her last chance to compete and then she got to because i think because biles because biles backed up yeah, so Mc she got mm -hmm. and michaela she, skinner i, mean, I think so she ended up winning <clears throat> a medal and yeah. that story oh like she was cry. supposed to be home 
Yeah. She was. She had to change her flight when when that whole thing happened with Simone Biles. Yeah. She was supposed to be back in the states already. Yeah. It was, and then a lot of them had COVID. Not gymnasts, but just in general, they had COVID, mm-hmm. and so they. And I was like, oh my gosh, how do you recover from? You know. Right. Well, Muhammad, the, the silver, the silver medalist in that race against Mark Lachlan, she yeah. had COVID. Yeah. Last year, and a hamstring injury. It's yeah. Olympians are just amazing and fascinating. Okay, so. God gave Abraham a, or Abram a sign in this. Yeah. So do you believe that we still get signs from God? Uh, yeah. So just to clarify. Yeah. Um, I actually said he didn't give him a sign. The, the star is the I revelation. I got to listen. I got to listen to your <laughs> sermons better. <laughs> no, no. Like, the, the, like my point in that, when he says look up to the stars, mm-hmm. that absolutely is a, is a revelation because it's God's creation. Yeah. But he doesn't do anything. Like, he doesn't. He doesn't like paint in the sky. You're gonna have a boy, or um, do some kind of miraculous thing where he's like. There's no uh, up to that point in the story. There is no um, thing like magic trick, spiritual magic trick, or miracle that God has done to prove to Abram that God is trustworthy. He just says, "Look up," and mm-hmm. makes a promise. Okay. And so, not a sign. You don't. It, the stars are. Um, I think so. I think a sign would be like um, uh, a gender reveal party for <laughs> Abraham. And- <laughs> um, a sign would be like a comet or something. Okay, you know what I mean, like some some strange event that otherwise wouldn't happen. That gotcha. God says, "Look, this is going to happen," and okay. it does. And then so that this is how you know you can believe me. Okay. Um, a sign may, might be when God says to Moses, "Raise up your staff, and the and the sea parts." That's yeah. That's yeah. kind of a sign of God's power. Okay. I see that, yeah. In, in this case, God's just telling Abram to look into a thing that God has already created mm. and is implying, I made that. You'll be okay. <laughs> I can handle your baby request. <laughs> yeah. But it's still... but And the distinction is that a sign is kind of proof. A revelation requires us believing what we're seeing. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, that is the that is what makes Abraham, Abram at this point in the story, um, such a central character in our faith history. Like he, he didn't require the signs; <laughs> he just believed the revelation. Mm. So it's not a it's not a semantic thing. I'm yeah. There. yeah. Okay. But your other question is, do I believe in signs from God? I absolutely do. Okay. <clears throat> I just don't think that that's part of Abraham's story, and I think that's what makes him so so. Uh, like I love Abraham, I love his story. I love that he's willing to challenge God, but I also willing. I also love that ultimately he's willing to trust. And we don't talk about her enough. Sarah goes along, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, she had to have a so, lot of faith too. <laughs> well, yes, like mm-hmm. they had built their whole life back home. Yeah, a successful life, and yeah, they didn't have kids, and that sucks. Sure, but you want us to pack up and move now? Yeah, because. Some yahoo shows up in the middle and tells you to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, she doesn't. Um, okay, you talk about how God always moves first. So what Methodism is a big example mm-hmm. of God moving first? You know the answer to that. Baptism. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and which is a for us um, an example of like what we call prevenient grace. So the grace which goes before God's always at work in our lives before we are even aware of it. That's one of the kind of the unique contributions of John Wesley to yeah. theology. Um, I mean, 
the, the fact that he named it and we kind of make a big deal out of it. Yeah. That's why we uh, open the table of communion. Anybody can come. Mm-hmm. We believe God's at work in that. Uh, it's why baptism for us is not about, I was raised Catholic and in the Catholic tradition, um, baptism is about the washing away of original sin. So it's like a, it's fixing a problem mm-hmm. <laughs> that exists when we're born theologically. And we don't, that's not what we believe it is. We believe that it's acknowledging a, a present reality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, every time you feel that kind of uh, nudging in your gut, oh, I got to get back to church or, man, I need to, <clears throat> I need to say a prayer or you know, like the, there's this spiritual, like our intuition, you could mm-hmm. say, uh, is an example of God's provenient grace. Yeah. I just like to point that out. So it's always a good one. Yeah, it's always a good one. Okay. So you kind of wrap up saying, you know, God is not specific on the timing of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so any last thoughts that as you were wrapping up your sermon that you wanted to highlight? No, I think we've I think we've covered all the ground for this one. Okay. So in, in the coming so you're preaching week three. I am. And what are you what are you preaching about? Sarah. And what's what like I know next week we're I I kind of alluded and we're talking about Isaac, the promise mm-hmm. of Isaac next week. So but in two weeks you're gonna be talking about it's a special Sunday for us. Like, yeah. We'll we're highlighting day. women's Women in ministry and, yeah. and women's ministry. So the day before is our women's um, day retreat. So if you haven't signed up, you should. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, it was a great chance to get involved in some uh, Bible studies and small groups um, if you want to, uh, for women. And so it's going to be a good celebration. We've got a cool liturgy that I'll be using a few other females on staff. So I'm, I'm real excited for it. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's good. And I'm glad that we'll, uh, what that, is that text? What is that specifically, that text? The, is it the whole thing with Hagar? No, it only goes to 12. So it's like the last line of like sending her away, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, okay, good. So yes. So anybody who wants to hear more about Sarah, we are overtly talking about her. Like yes. we're kind of focusing on her in a couple of weeks, but she obviously shows up throughout. Yeah. Well, uh, it's great to be back. I'm really glad that um, we're start kicking off season two. Me kind too. of snuck up on us. It's, yeah, it I mean, it's did. only August. What's today? August 9th. I feel recording. like the summer went by fast, though. It did. It did. It did it, go very fast. It did, but it brings us all together mm-hmm. for yeah. this uh, for this recording. And then for everybody listening, we certainly appreciate you spending time with us once a week. So, God bless y'all. We will see you in church on Sunday. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Offscript. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.